Good evening, Tom Mason, as we continue in our Summer of Psalms. Tonight we're looking at Psalm 15. So let's pray and ask God's direction upon us as we would look at His Word tonight. Father, we do thank You for Your great grace toward us. Thank You for Jesus Christ, our Lord. Thank You for our church. Thank You for how You have taking care of us even through this pandemic that we have been through and not even uh, back uh, to all of our services yet and you still provide for us. Thank you for the electronic media that you have provided that we might be able to reach out to our congregation and continue to teach and to equip the saints. We pray for those who are under the weather. We pray, Lord, that you would heal them. We pray, thank you for our church as you are bringing us together on Sunday mornings and then keeping us in contact with each other through the week. Direct us now in our time that we might honor you with your word. In Jesus' name, amen. So as we look at Psalm 15 tonight, we'll notice that it says at the beginning, a Psalm of David. Again, as we have mentioned, that is inspired, that is from God. But it does not direct it toward the choir director or giving any other information about it. It simply says it's a psalm of David. So as we read, it says, O Lord, who may abide in your tent and who may dwell on your holy hill? He who walks with integrity and works righteousness and speak truth in his heart. He does not slander with his tongue, nor does evil to his neighbor, nor take up a reproach against a friend. He whose eyes is in whose eyes a retribute is despised, but who honor those who fear the Lord. He swears to his own hurt and does not change. He does not put out his money as interest nor does he take a bribe against the innocent. He does these things, will never be shaken. This psalm begins with two questions. If you remember from last week, Psalm 13 started with four questions. Those questions were accusations hurled against our God, the God of the universe. Now the answer to these two questions that's stated in Psalm 15, points us to a self-examination. Verses 1 and 2. O Lord, who may abide in your tent, and who may dwell on your holy hill? He who walks with integrity and works righteousness and speak the truth in his heart. This is why I call these answers a self-examination. But when one reads these two questions and then look at the answer, we aren't looking around to our neighbor to see if they measure up. We are to look inward to see if we are the ones who are measuring up. Because we really do want to do what God has called us to do. So starting with the question, O Lord, who may abide in your tent? Or who may dwell on your holy hill? David says, O Jehovah. Notice in your Bible, in my Bible, the word Lord is in all caps. 
This is for the name of God. They would say Jehovah. So he would say, O Jehovah, who may abide? The word abide carries two concepts with it. One, to enter in, and then the other one, to stay. So not only are we entering into the presence of the Lord, but we are staying in his presence. And so these are the things that he says. Then he said, we must remember <clears throat> that for Israel, God's presence was in the house of God on the Ark of Covenant. When God is directing Moses in Exodus 25, 21 and 22 of how to build the Ark of Covenant, he says, you shall put the mercy seat on the top of the Ark, and in the Ark you shall put testimonies which I will give you. There I will meet with you, and from above the mercy seat, from between the two cherubims, which are upon the Ark of Testimony, I will speak speak to you about all that I would give you in commandments for the sons of Israel. So he's telling them, I, that's going to be my place of meeting with you. And so we see that in this passage. So in this passage, God is instructing Moses about the Ark of Covenant. Now later on, when that would be moved into and they have made this temple, it was put in what is called the Holies of Holies. And the priest could only go in there at a time of offering the sacrifices once a year. And he had these long tassels that was on his robe that if he did something that defiled the, uh, in there, they would have to bring, drag him out by these because God would kill him in there. God's presence, the Holy of Holies. So when they would enter into the tabernacle at the court, they would enter in to the presence of God. And at that time, they may have even recited this psalm, asking the questions, Lord, who may enter into your tent, or who may dwell upon your holy hill? Now, they also may have recited this psalm as they are traveling up to Jerusalem to get there to worship. There were four major feasts that they would do these. And as you see this, then you would understand that as they would pro, they know where they were going. So they could recite this psalm in preparation of getting there. But you know, when you do this, you can't just start the preparation when you start the walk. He is directing us to live a life. That's what it means, abide. You aren't just entering in, but you're abiding with the presence of God, knowing that He's there with us at all times. <clears throat> the second part of the question who may dwell on your holy hill. Notice he didn't say hills. Now in Psalm 50 and verse 10, we are told, For every beast of the forest is mine, the cattle on a thousand hills. But David here is talking about a particular hill. And that hill would be Mount Zion. And Mount Zion would be the place that Jerusalem would build be built. And then in Jerusalem, you would have the tabernacle of God. So the presence of God, he's talking about a Pacific hill, not just any hill. He's talking about Jerusalem, that great city, the city of God, as he then would bring them to him to worship during that time. Now in verses 2 through 5a, God, through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, gives David the answer to the questions. Verse 2, he who walks with integrity and works righteousness and speaks truth in his heart. 
He who walks with integrity speaks of a way of life that is pleasing to God. This type of living requires one to keep short accounts with sin. You don't just sin and say, well, I'll get around to it one day. Because Psalm 66 verse 18 says, If I regard iniquity in my heart, the Lord will not hear me. Regard. I hold it. I like it. I'm, I'm not going to confess it. I'm going to keep the sin in my He says, God isn't even going to listen to you during that time. So then this type of living, when you're walking with integrity and you're speaking the truth, you have a lifestyle that you keep short accounts with sin. It goes on to say that his walk must be blameless. This describes a person whose walk is well-rounded. Not that he does good sometime and then some part of his life is bad. He has a well-rounded life that he is living for God and every intent of his heart is to please God. Not only does this person walk with integrity, but he also works righteousness. Whatever this person does, he does for the honor of his God. And one of the things that one will see in the life of a person who enters into the presence of God is he speaks the truth in his heart. Truth. When a person is sharing the truth, it does not even matter whether you believe that person or not. I say all the time, the truth must be spoken. It doesn't have to be believed, but it must be spoken. This is what is required of a person who will enter into the presence of the Lord. And when you talk about this word truth, it carries with it the idea that here is a person who, whether he is speaking, whether he is declaring something, whether he is in a conversation, whether he is commanding, whether he is promising, whether he is warning or threatening, all of the things that he says, whatever role he's in, it is coming as the truth. And that's the type of people that God is calling for, that they might enter into his holy hill. Verse 3 goes on to say that this man does not slander with his tongue, nor does evil to his neighbor, nor take up a reproach against a friend. Here's when you see these things in verse, uh, the answer that he first gives us, the man walks with integrity, all those things was positive. Now he's going to talk about the things that he does not do. So a man who uh, is going to walk in favor with God, he does not slander with his tongue, does no evil to his neighbor, and does not take up a reproach against a friend. Does not slander with his tongue. David would give a list of these things that, we are, that would qualify us to live for God. About 15 years ago, Hurricane Katrina hit New Orleans, Louisiana, and brought widespread uh, devastation up to even Pasagoula, Mississippi. About a year after that, our church sent a team to Christ Fellowship Baptist Church in Mobile, Alabama, to help them to rebuild these homes that was damaged in Pasagoula, Mississippi. The pastor of the church at that time, uh, the Baptist Church, was uh, Steve Larson. And to show his appreciation, uh, Pastor Larson gave to us a copy of his commentary on the Psalms. It was a two-volume set. And over the, the, the years that I've had that, I referred back to uh, that uh, 
often as I have read through the Psalms and then we want more in depth about it, I would go to, to these Psalms. So as I am preparing for Psalm 15, I come across this quote that I, I, I saw and I just thought, this speaks to this passage of being one who speaks the truth, being one who does not slander his neighbor and does not speak falsehoods with his tongue. I read the quote. As the truth of God stirs in, in inward being, the genuine worship speaks to others nothing but the truth. He means what he says without any double-tongued flattering out of both sides of his mouth. The true worshiper has no slander on his tongue, or he does not attack others maliciously with his mouth. The word devil means slanderer. A person is never more like the evil one or more used by the prince of darkness when he verbally attacks another person. If someone is going to be in the presence of God in Zion, he must be an obedient true speaker. The double-minded slanderer does not belong in the presence of God." End quote. As we look at what David has laid out here and then how Pastor Lawson would uh, comment, uh, do a commentary on that, it just tells us about the people who expect to be in the presence of God. You cannot be a person who tear down other people with the words of your mouth. So God is looking for a person who is going to be willing to honor him in everything that he do. David goes on to say, he, as he describes this person who is going to live in the presence of God, nor does he do evil with his neighbor. The term neighbor has a different meaning in the Bible than it does for us today. It means close to, not necessarily in relation to living close to someone, but as you are in a close proximity of that person, even if you are meeting that person as a stranger. So when we see this, it could include a person that we have just met. He says he does no evil to his neighbor. When we look at Luke chapter 10, verses 25 to 37, this is the story of the Good Samaritan. Let's read this and see how Jesus deals with this. It says a lawyer stood up and put him to the test, saying, Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? He said to him, What is written in the law? How does it read? And he answers, You shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, and with all of your strength, and with all of your mind and your neighbor as yourself. He said to him, You have answered correctly. Do this and you shall live. But wishing to put Jesus to the test, he said, Who is my neighbor? Jesus replied and said, A man was going along to, from Jerusalem to Jericho, and he fell among the robbers. They stripped him and beat him and went away, leaving him half dead. And by chance, a priest came along. And when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. Likewise, a Levite, when he came to the place, he saw him and passed on the other side. 
But a Samaritan who was on a journey came to him. When he saw him, he felt compassion for him. And he came to him and bandaged his wound, poured oil and wine on them. And he put him on his beast and brought him to an inn and took care of him. On the next day, he took out two denarii and gave it to the innkeeper. Take care of him, and whatever money you spend when I return, I will repay you. Which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell among the robbers? He said, the one who showed mercy toward him. Jesus said to him, go and do likewise. Now, Jesus isn't telling him, you go and you take care of uh, folks and then you're going to go to heaven. What he's telling him about the heart of compassion that this man had. Even the religious people, the priest and the Levite, came by, saw the man, and went the other way. But here's a Samaritan, one who is hated by the Jews. What did he do? He had compassion. There was something in this man from within that reached out to this man, which then caused him to do something on the man's behalf. So he takes him in, pays his expenses, take care of him, he said to the innkeeper. And when I come back, if there's more owed, I will take care of that also. So the thing that was within this man is what we ought to do. We're to have compassion for people. But that compassion has to be based on the fact of how we are walking in Christ and the things that he has done for us on the inside. And when we see that, then we come to know him in that manner. Verse 4 says, In whose eyes a retrobate, retrobate is despised. This word retrobate, this is... Um, a person who you would consider as dirty. Not dirty because of their clothes, but dirty because of their char character. This would be a person that you would call despicable. And he says, in whose eyes a retrobate is despised. That's talking about the people that we associate with, the people that we align ourselves with. He says the righteous man is not going to align himself with the retrobate. The, the righteous man is not going to align himself with a despicable person. He says, this man will not do this. But who honors those who fear the Lord. He's not going to do this, but he will do this. He's going to partner himself with those who honor God. He's going to walk hand in hand with those. Those are going to be the people he is going to admire. Meaning... He's going to accept the people that God accepts. He's going to reject the people that God rejects. That's how this man is going to walk. And then he says, This man will swear to his own hurt and does not change. Swear to his own hurt. When he gives his word, he's going to stand by it. Even if it costs him money or if it costs him friends, or even if it costs him family members. When he makes a decision, when he gives you his word, he's going to stand by that word. And this is the thing that we see in the people that's going to follow God. I knew a man once that uh, sold a house. And when he sold this house, he was not a believer. 
and there was a problem with the basement of the house, and he lied about this basement and told the people that was buying the house, even signed the paper and said, there's no known defects in this house. Fifteen years later, the rains came, poured into the basement. So they go back and find out as they're digging, they find out that this has been worked on before and they hadn't worked on it. So they knew the people that were there before had to be the one. So they did, they were aware of it. So now a court case was coming up and he had to go and give a deposition the very next day as he's talking to me. And so he says, this is going to cost me about $40,000, but I will tell the truth about what happened in that basement tomorrow. So I asked a question. I said, well, why didn't you tell the truth back then? He says, I was not a believer. But since that time, I have become, I have become a Christian. And I will go tomorrow and I will straighten it out, even though it's going to cost him about $40,000. That's what David is talking about. The man will swear to his own hurt and he does not change. He sticks to the truth. Verse 5. Verse 5 says, he does not put out his money to, for interest. Now it's interesting how the number of things that David has covered here in Psalm 15. He's talked about the man's conduct. He's going to walk in integrity. He's talked about his mouth. He's not going to speak against uh, people. He's not going to do any harm to his neighbor. Now he's talking about his finances. Why? Because a person who is going to be in the presence of God, he's going to have finances. And in those finances, he needs to learn how to handle them. And he says here, he's not going to give out his money to interest. This means he's not going to take advantage of poor people as he is loaning the money to them. This was set up for them in Exodus 25, 22. He says, if you lend money to my people, if you, an Israelite, going to lend money to my people, Israel. He says, when you do this to the poor among you, you are not to act as a debtor, I'm sorry, as a creditor to them. You shall not charge him interest. So this was clear in the scripture. He said, this man is going to follow the scriptures even when it comes with his money. And he's not going to loan it out. He's not going to try to help these people come up with something that going to hurt the poor as they're trying to pay this back. He's following what God has laid out for him. And then he says, nor does he take a bribe against the innocent. He's not going to let anybody influence him, no matter where they are, that he would bribe, say something wrong to accuse an innocent person. In 1 Kings 21, we won't turn there and read it, but it's about King Ahab and his wife Jezebel, and a neighbor, a, a Nahor, Nabal. Nabal had a land, a vineyard, that he had inherited, and from his inheritance he was not supposed to sell it. So one day, uh, Jezebel comes in, and her husband is all distraught about, uh, he can't do this, he can't do She said, what's the problem? He says, oh, the neighbor, Nabal, he won't sell his land to me. She says, get up and eat and, 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 and have a good time. She says, I'll go and get two worthless fellas. We'll throw a banquet for Nabal. We'll have him to come in. Then we have these two worthless fellas. 
to stand up and say he has cursed God and the king, he'll be put to death. So that happened. They put him to death. The king now ends up with the man's land. The king of Israel is supposed to be God's servant. But now he is working with his wife to bribe somebody to go and bring a witness against this man publicly so he could be put to death. That's what happened in that part of his life. But he says that this man is not one who would do this. For he will not take a bribe against the innocent. How, how terrible could that be for anybody but to have the king to be a part of it? God's appointed king to be a part of this. The last verse says this. He who does these things would never be shaken. He who can answer the questions by his lifestyle, who has walked in the ways of the Lord, this person will never be shaken. Why is this? Jesus would say in Luke chapter 6, verses 46 to 49, he says, why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not do what I say? Everyone who comes to me and hears my words and act upon them, I will show you who he is like. He is like a man who's built a house and dug down deep into the foundation of the rocks. And the floods came and occurred, the torrents came, but that house would not be shaken because it was built on the foundation. But the one who has heard and has not acted accordingly, his, this life is like a man who built his house on the ground without a foundation. And the torrents came, burst against the house immediately, and it collapsed. And the ruins of the house was great. So if we hear the words of Jesus, why is it that we're not doing what he says and that's why David could say the man who does these things will never be shaken why because his confidence is in God he is living for God and his house is built on this great foundation now today we don't have to go to church to enter into the presence of God God is within us. The Bible tells us that we have the Holy Spirit who is the temple of God living within us. So our body is the temple for the Holy Spirit. We are His believers. We have been called to Him and we have His presence with us all the time. But there's a time coming that we will enter into heaven and having entered into heaven, then we will abide there forever as believers. Now, if you are not a believer, then you don't have that confidence. But you can have that confidence because the Bible tells us that they all shall be taught of, of God. John chapter 6, verse 45. He says, but those that hear and those that have learned, they will come to me. So God wants you to know that in his word, he has the word laid out for you. All you have to do is confess that you are a sinner. Believe that Jesus Christ has died on the cross for your sins. 
and that God has raised him for the day, from the dead, that he would be a living Savior for you today. There's an empty grave, and that tomb is empty for a purpose, so you and I can actually see it if we're ever there to be reminded, but we can see it from the Word of God that he has been risen. He is not here, as he said. And so when you believe that, Trust in and rely upon what Jesus Christ did on the cross for your sins and my sins and the sins of the whole world. When you put your faith in that, nothing else. Faith alone in Christ alone. And then He will bring this great salvation to you. And when our eyes are closed in death, then we will spend eternity in the presence of God in heaven forever. How long is forever? It's forever. And so as we come tonight, we just want to thank you for uh, your time of listening through our, our message. And we pray that if you don't know this God, that you would come to meet him through the scriptures. Feel free to call the church to ask for directions on how it is that you would do that. Email us. Um, make a comment. Just let us know and we'll get in touch with you and share with you how you can come to know this great God. Father, we thank you for your word. Thank you for the fact that you have written it down so plain and so clear that as we come to it, we can read tonight, we can hear and understand that you are our God and you are calling us to a life that would represent you as we live our lives out. For those who do not know you, you're calling them to be a part of what it is you're doing here on earth through your church that they might come to know you. We praise you, honor you, and adore you for who you are. In Jesus' precious name, amen.